Hi there, I'm Valerie Legras, and you are listening to Textures. Texture is a podcast about art, design, and entrepreneurship. In each episode, I chat with artists, designers, creators, and innovators, the people who add textures to our world. In each episode, you will meet with creative minds, discover their world, their work, and how they made it happen. Texture is an informal and open conversation about living and leading a creative life. Today, I am meeting with Mary Singleton, a local painter here in New Orleans. Mary is known for her bright, Fauvist-influenced, contemporary and figurative floral paintings. She draws inspiration from the tropical flora of New Orleans. Mary's life has been punctuated by several traumas and art became a therapy and a way of expressing herself. I know you will love what Mary has to say. Let's learn about her journey. Hi, Mary. Thank you for having me in your beautiful studio here in Mid-City. I'm very lucky because we are very, very close from each other. Yes, right around the corner from you. Yeah, so Mary, you um, are a painter, an artist. I see on your work that you're very, very physical. You really work, you know, not only with a brush, but it looks like you really go deep into the, the, the paint. You can say that, the paint? Go deep into it? Yeah, Paint's, paint can be thick. I think that's okay. Okay. <laughs> so as a child, did you play with a uh, color tube or did you play with uh, brushes? How did it start? It? Uh, I mean, I, I, I always remember art being a, a part of my life. I don't remember... I don't remember the genesis of it. It just kind of always was there. It was always something I did. So I don't know when it started. I do remember being in elementary school and, you know, the class would be do, doing something like a paper mache mask and I would get so sucked into it that the class, the rest of the class would move on and the teacher would let me go on. And I think I, I think at one point I made a six foot tall dragon out of paper mache, which that's pretty the cool. Yeah, the initial project was just a mask. So thing big. <laughs> yeah. So it was something that I always just kind of honed in on and got lost into. And so you, you were on family, you know, your family was uh, into art or is just coming from your side? No, um, I think my birth father, who I only who died when I was very young, he was a photographer. But my father, that really raised me, my second dad, uh, he is a mechanical engineer, so not very artistic, very by the book, straightforward. My mom's a financial planner, but they both loved mid-century modern design growing up. So we were surrounded by great design surrounded by what I consider art and design. Yeah, because at 15 years old, uh, your mom and your uh, dad moved into an amazing house in Batoge. Yes. That yeah. was very special. So they moved into the what's known as the Crawford House. So it's a mid-century modern house by the architect Wall Snyder, who I, I might get some of these specifics wrong because I'm not very great with remembering details, but Wall Snyder d designed a house for the Bacardi, the Bacardi family, like Bacardi Rum in Cuba, and houses in South Beach. And I believe that the house in Baton Rouge that they, we lived in is the only one outside of that area. So, and it was, it's beautiful. It was, it was lived in by a man named Hamilton Crawford, who, um, I can't really remember. I know he was a, he was a builder and an architect himself, but, uh, 
it's escaping my brain to how to describe him. I do know that he did a lot for the community. I, I, I don't know if m saying the word modular housing is correct, but it was almost like those Sears houses that you could order back in the 50s. So he did that, and he, instead of living anywhere else, he chose to make his home in, Bat in the middle of Baton Rouge, in the middle of uh, what is actually known as Mid-City in Baton Rouge. Um, so we're in Mid-City now in New Orleans, but I grew up in Mid-City in Baton Rouge. And I think that now this house is protected. I think you, you and They're your family... They're trying to protect it. Yes. So kind of a sleazy deal happened, and um, parents were taken advantage of by a developer. And then uh, uh, some investor purchased the property to save it from demolition. And we're trying to get it listed as a landmark currently, but that has a bunch of different steps in it. So we've passed one step and there's a few more before it's officially listed. So how does it feel like to be raised in a house like very special? I, it felt very special and it wants, it makes you appreciate other special things when you see them out in the world. Um, You know, growing up, you go to friends' houses, and their houses were just, I mean, they were just there. They were houses. There was nothing wrong with them, but they didn't awe you. They didn't inspire you. But to have people come and knock on our door and ask to get a tour of the home, saying that they've always loved it, that, that it was so singular, so special, I think that that affects you because you grow up, if you grow up living in a piece of art, then when you go out into the world, you really miss art because you're not as surrounded by it so you know moving into my first apartment in my 20s oh this this stinks <laughs> where's the, the sunken 1950 tiled bathtub and the you know all of the amenities of the 50s that we had and all of the the wonderful design so I ended up trying to create that with you know little to no budget in my early 20s and that kind of leads you just to make art because yeah and become know, creative I can make yeah I can make it I can make the beauty myself that's wonderful yeah I love that So you, as you mentioned, you have been raised in Baton Rouge. So mm -hmm. after high school, you went to college. I did. I went to, well, I went to LSU for, uh, I believe, one semester, maybe two. Lost my tops because, you know, they have the tops program. That it's a scholarship program. So lost that by being just like a normal 19-year-old not going to class. And dropped out of college for... I'm not sure how many years, maybe a year or two, and then ended up going to South Carolina. And for whatever reason, I chose a tiny town called Hartsville, South Carolina. We, I think I toured maybe five colleges with my parents at the time, and that one spoke to me. That one, seen, I was drawn to it, and it was called Coker College. And um, turns out when we were driving up there with all of the stuff packed into the back of a van, my mom goes, Oh, you know your grandmother, the one you're named after, Mary Bell, she was born and raised in this town right here. The one directly next to it, like the sister town to Hartsville, South Carolina, it's called Macbee, was the one where my grandmother, my namesake, was born and raised. What are the chances that I would pick that town? Yeah, it was a call. Yeah, so I, I do believe it was meant to be, even though there were some, you know, not everything that's meant to be is easy. I'll just say that. <laughs> so you study art there? Yes, I did. I studied art for, I believe, one or two semesters, and I ended up having a run-in with one of the professors there who I, I would probably describe him as a very talented artist, but a terrible person. Very abusive, I think. Yeah, he was very abusive to his students. Um, I, I remember in one critique, I believe he... Uh, 
believe he ripped someone's paper off the wall and, and wrote the word no on the ground and just walked out. I mean, he was just, he was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Um, but he, it, he did not like me. Hey, and we did not get along. I did not uh, bow to that. I don't really, that kind of stuff really didn't intimidate me. And I wasn't really interested in buying into that kind of behavior. And he set his sights on me and I ended up getting expelled from his class and I tried to fight it, but because it was a private college and not a public college like LSU, the, the, the system for fighting that is basically he had jurisdiction over his class. And so I really didn't have any recourse. And I remember being in the dean's office, you know, crying, trying to make sense of all this because I think I'm 22 at the time. And she tells me that, I obviously have a good eye, but I don't have what it takes to be an artist, so I should give up. Bang. That's hard. It was soul-crushing. It's terrible. terrible. Why would anyone in a position to nurture and teach say that, regardless if you believe it's true? Like, it's uncalled for. It's completely uncalled for. There's There's no reason to ever say that to anyone. No wonder... No wonder some people say, you know, I, one of the things I do is I teach at a nursing home. And some of them say, I've never picked up a brush before. I'm 87. I'm like, that's, that's not too late. Go ahead and do it. You know, what, that person could have been told that when they were 22. And we might have missed out on a really big talent because of that. So I think it's, yeah, I, I didn't paint for about two or three years after that at all. Didn't paint or draw. Maybe I kept a sketchbook and I doodled. I think I worked at a coffee shop and I probably just doodled on napkins at the time. That was all I did because it was so crushing to have someone, someone who is an authority figure say that. So you just didn't draw too much at that time. But on the other hand, I remember we spoke um, uh, one time when we met. You said you had, um, you use art as a therapy. I mean, I you obviously had some, um, you mentioned that you lost your uh, dad uh, at a very early age and mm-hmm. it was very sudden and very yes. traumatic. And you also had some other losses in your family. That yeah, was my also, sister. Yeah, so all this, all of this uh, was, of course, uh, is very um, traumatizing. And mm-hmm. art was very helpful for you and mm-hmm. a necessity. And I think you mentioned that your mom was very encouraging this experience, you know. So if you... Yeah, she, I don't know that she understands me, but she's never stifled me in any way and and being a financial planner i think it's probably pretty rare that they someone like that would encourage their daughter as much as i can as much as she did um but i she's always told me that from a very young age she saw what it did for me she saw she would call it getting in the zone she would say i would just get in a zone and time would disappear and I would work on something for hours and hours, and she'd never saw me so fulfilled. So I think she saw what was best for me as her daughter and said, there's no other choice for her. She has to pursue this. This is good for her. Um, but speaking to the, the, the way that it's therapy for me, um, I think that when the outside world ceases to make sense when you go through such a traumatic loss at a, at a young age, I, I could make sense of what was on a piece of paper. You know, I could, I could, that could be, that world was, I was in control of that. That was something I was in control of. It's something I could dive into that wasn't scary or weird. Um, I could, you know, wasn't something that was going to surprise me with some traumatic event. You know, it was very therapeutic to be able to put my all into that and to be able to create something. So I think that I, 
although before the traumatic losses happened, I painted and I was involved with art in small ways and I had an aptitude for it. I think when the, the traumatic loss happened, I think I just really dove right into it because I needed it. I needed it to save me. And today, you, you know, mentioned that it's still a therapy and your oh, style yeah. evolved you know, through the years. Mm -hmm. And you have many styles and I you're do. very talented <laughs> in many areas. I know, and sometimes, you can say, sometimes yeah. you see my Instagram and you say, oh, this is a new one. So it's a therapy, as you mentioned. So you, you know, you, you mentioned you're drawing on your own and you're in your uh, really your world. Mm -hmm. um, however, at some point, did you join a group to paint or, you know, because sometimes therapy is good by yourself. It is also good to be with a support group. Yeah, so when I was in South Carolina, back when I was expelled from college and from and had that terrible experience where they told me to, that I would never make it as an artist, I didn't paint for about two, maybe two, three years after that. And it, what I, it was probably because of my friend group at the time that I picked up a paintbrush again. They were all musicians, very creative people, artists, and we would spend a lot of time together and create things together. And so I think it was probably just being around that energy and seeing how that sense of community that came along with it. I think that that was a very nurturing and safe way for me to go back into art. That wasn't just a, I'm going to make this solitary thing by myself and put it out into the world. It was more like I made it with a group of friends and with some people holding my hands. Did you try on uh, other means of expression, like clay, or you, it was always painting? I hate clay. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm not good at it. I'm not, I find clay very disappointing because you make something, and then you put it in the kiln, and then it could blow up. That's you true. just get destroyed, and then you, you've, you've spent all this time, and you're at the mercy of the heat and the clay. and I just Anything that requires uh, an amount of technical knowledge or it's you know clay's kind of like baking and that you can only do certain things with certain things anything that requires me to think in that way and kind of out of the moment I don't like to work in that that type of medium so it was really you know painting from yeah. the beginning oh yeah it was really just painting pretty much painting I think that I tried clay oh I was terrible at sculpture and I went when I went back to LSU in my late 20s, they, I was terrible at sculpture. My, my, my professors knew it. They just were kind of like, oh, well, he just needed to take this elective, so <laughs> we'll just go ahead and get it out of the way. Yeah, so after your Carolina experience, mm -hmm. of, uh, you came back to Louisiana. I did. I came back to Louisiana. Um, my, this was about the time that my, I know I would spoke earlier about my, losing my sister. My sister got sick. Um, my sister had cancer, and then my dad had cancer. So I moved in with my family and came back here to help be around them and just help through that time and, and were you able to paint at that time oh yeah yeah I so at that time because I was living with them I didn't have a lot of bills and I started to paint more I had more free time and I got into my first gallery just by going in and getting something framed and they really liked it and they asked to see more and it was a small gallery it was called Rukaku at, uh, in New Orleans? It, no, it was in Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. It was in Baton Rouge. It was a, it's an area called Circa 1857. It's in, I guess it would call it the Garden District in Baton Rouge. Uh, they were very supportive, and it was a wonderful first gallery experience. Well, that's good for yeah, you. Yeah, it was great. So, But I, di I didn't really know what to do with that experience at the time because I was in my early 20s, and 
probably didn't have as much motivation to take the my career forward and didn't really know what I was doing so um, but did you have uh, did you had in mind at that time that you wanted to embrace uh, your passion as a career no I didn't think it was possible I thought I had to get a real job I thought that I had to go I like to college you mentioned the real job yeah I know <laughs> quote unquote real job um, I thought I had to, I, I didn't think it was possible because it, it in a town like Baton Rouge as much as I love Baton Rouge there aren't people doing that there there really aren't artists and creative types making a living there um, so it wasn't until I moved to New Orleans two years ago and I see all of these creative people and that's how they make their living it's their career and I thought well I'm going to try that yeah you, you can be yourself yeah here. I can I can and it's a city that supports that you know and so when I was in Baton Rouge I just thought I had to go get an office job and I'll do this on the weekends or nights or whatever and then I moved to New Orleans and I thought well hey I don't want to do that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do. I'm going to at least try it. So tell us about your inspiration, because you have styles that are very, very different. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do amazing portraits. You also do amazing botanical um, you know, representation. And it's really depend on the mood of the moment. Yeah, you know, it kind of uh, does depend on my mood. Um, I think that goes back to the, the art being therapy aspect of it for me. It's what, what, what needs to come out of me at the time. Um, I, I did the portraiture mixed in with the botanicals about two years ago, and I think the portraiture aspect of it was um, kind of very safe for me because I'm good at painting faces and I know how to do it. It was a little bit, you know, jumping in and trying to figure out what your style is, Create you need a certain amount of courage to do that, you know, if you, to create a whole body of work on a certain style. So I feel like it has taken me a little bit of time to try and figure out what my style is and what it's going to be. Um, the style it, evolved constantly anyway, you know, I know. thanks God. <laughs> I know, I don't, I'm just not a formulaic painter. I think some people thrive with the boundaries of a formula. You know, I paint the canvas red first and then I paint these green leaves on. I think that that is, uh, that for some people that that works, that um, repetition, there's comfort in that. and. But for me, if, if I do one thing the same way twice, I, I get so bored. So you don't do, do portrait anymore right now. Mm -hmm. So at some point, where is the switch? It's like a break or it's just like a smooth I just enjoy doing the botanicals around the faces more. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, why am I doing the faces? Why do I keep the faces in here? I, I like the faces. I like the way they look. But I, I felt I had more to express through the botanicals than through the faces. So I, I, I dropped them. And so you paint with absolutely a lot of color and you can Lots. tell that you are in a good mood because yeah. <laughs> I mean your therapy is working very yes. well because everything is so bright, so joyful, so bold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I actually, when you're talking about lots of color, I actually had a, a bunch of wine one night and I bought the domain name stopbeige.com. That's so if you go to so if you go to stopbeige.com, it redirects to my painting website. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I don't know. I just uh, I think life's too short for playing it safe with color. I think color's beautiful. I think it's vibrant. I think it can change your mood. I think it can inspire. So I, I just appreciate being surrounded by color at all times. Yeah, and what you can see in the studio, you have this. I mean, this is amazing. What you know, you're surrounded by amazing. Um, 
very powerful vibes, mm-hmm. Energi- yeah. very energetic. And you know, your style, we, we, we talk about you are on a canvas, you paint the, the faces, the portraits, and then you paint the botanical and you have a certain style. And like a couple of days ago, we just saw you put, you know, the paper on the, on the ground oh, yeah. and just, you know, just paint on the floor, yeah. basically. I mean, on the paper, but instead of having the, the vertical canvas of the vertical paper, you just decide to just put it on the ground, well, the floor. It's, it's interesting paint. to see as a painter what something like that, how something small like that, you wouldn't think, you know, oh, if I put this piece of paper on the wall and I paint it, it might look one way, but if I put it on the floor, it's going to look completely different. But for me, it does affect me that way. You know, it, because I'm so physical, if I'm standing in front of a piece of paper or a canvas, and I'm, I'm going to have a very different movement in my hands and my shoulders I mean just thinking about how your body works than if I'm leaning over a piece of paper or a canvas so the the ones that I just created that you were talking about I put on the floor they're very large pieces of paper and I actually just turned them and walked around them the entire time which you can't do when it's on a wall I mean you could turn it but you can't really walk around it in that moment and give yourself over to the moment it has to be deliberate I'm going to take it off I'm going to turn it over and then you know and I sometimes work like that too on big canvases, but to it, it almost felt very lyrical and like a dance when they're on the floor and you can just walk around them and draw and paint. You know, and I really uh, invite the listener to go on your uh, Instagram because I can see just like these last days, I can see a big shift into your mm-hmm. uh, the approach of your art. Yeah, that's it's that fossil series. Um, so I, I do love to do my big, bold botanicals that are very bright colors, but then I have a series called the Fossils series, which it things are a little bit more linear. There's a little bit more contour drawing, so that not every leaf is filled in, not every cell in the leaf is filled in. Um, so it's a lot of more line work and it's nice to be able to have that expression and then when I'm get a little sick of that type of work I go back to my big bold botanicals that have every color in the rainbow and lots of thick paint and so it's nice to have the two that I can shift back and forth well you look like at a happy place right now yeah definitely you know the therapy is working very well (laughs) all forms of therapy work very well good Um, you know as an artist you Mm -hmm. are in your studio uh, it can be also a very lonely journey because, you know, it's some artists work in a community and mm-hmm. they can share studio with other people. It's not the case for everyone. So how do you organize your day? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I mean, you don't have to go in detail, you right. know, but, you know, it's, it's pretty physical. It's pretty intense when you paint. It yeah. takes a lot of brain, a lot of energy. And just how do you manage? Uh, it... it, it I think I have to paint in spurts. So there's, you know, you think of of a job where you go to it for eight hours a day. It's not being in the studio is not like that. You have to you have to break it up so you don't get burnt out because when you are working on a piece and you are putting that much of yourself into it, it can be very draining for to do it for too long. So I'll do it in spurts. I I usually get up and go to City Park where I have see a lot of my inspiration. They have the big palmettos and the greenery and the sculpture garden. So I go for a walk in City Park and then I'll come back and normally I'll start something. I find that starting something is a nice warm up. I don't like to walk into the studio and finish something. So if there's a piece I've been working on for a week, I'm not gonna finish it in that moment. I'm gonna start something new. 
and that gets my that gets my brain warmed up it gets my heart warmed up it gets my hands it gets you know it war- just warms up everything and, and loosens me up a little bit so that I can have the courage to go on to the other things that I'm working on and usually I work a few hours um, take a break a few more hours but I also like to break up that time by what I listen to Listen to a lot of podcasts. That's good. Yeah, me too. I love you, that. you would never know it from working, listening. I mean, seeing my work, but I actually listen to a lot of true crime podcasts while I'm painting. You're not the only one, you know. I know really? a lot of people. I, I was surprised, but it's really something that people yeah. enjoy. I love uh, my favorite murder. Um, that's probably one of my favorite. But yeah, I listen to a lot of true crime, some political podcasts. But yeah, you would never know it. I think that there's something to be said for your left brain having something to do while you, so that you can access your right brain without your left brain getting involved. That's true. Absolutely so I think true. that that helps to have something intellectual coming into my ears so that I can tune, like, yeah, turn that off so I'm not going, oh, well, why did you make that mark right there? That wasn't a good one because that's what your left brain does. You know, your left brain's like, mm, are you sure about that? And, you know, your right brain's the one that can just flow and free and come up with stuff. So I like to give give that part of my brain something to do so that I'm free to work. <laughs> so here in New Orleans, after a couple of months, uh, mm-hmm. you just uh, put your work out there. Yeah. And I think you had some different pop-up in shops and gallery after. So when I was uh, living in Baton Rouge, I met uh, Sarah Killen and Margaret Shea. And they owned, they were going to start a shop. It's called St. Claude Social Club. And so in New Orleans. In New Orleans. And they approached us. My partner is a graphic designer. And so I hand drew the lettering for their store and he turned it into branding for them. And when we moved to New Orleans, they have been so supportive of my work and fans of mine. So they offered to have a pop up one night shop. And I believe it was in December of 2017 I'm gonna say and I you know I hadn't shown my work in years at that point anywhere really Uh, I hadn't even thought about this being a career of mine I just thought it would be something like I said before like I would do it on weekends and I I put my all into it and that's when I did those figurative pieces Um, that's how I I about you really yes. it, was, it was through them yes oh Definitely. i didn't know that yes and that's how i started to follow your work yeah they i i know i i still really love that body of work i just for some reason can't produce it anymore so there have been times where people have approached me and said can you produce that i'm like i really don't even know how to do that i wouldn't even know how to start that right now feels like a different person made those But it's good because somehow it also makes your art very special because it's almost yes. like a limited edition. Yeah, they're, they're you know, singular. Just like in Picasso, yeah. Picasso had the blue period and then the pink period and then yeah. the cubism. You know, you have to. Yeah, so don't go, don't go ask him for something blue while he's in his pink period. Exactly. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> That's kind of how me don't like don't. I can't produce those more of those portrait style works now. It's just if it, it feels like my hand has gotten a little too loose to do something like that. You know, those are a little too representational. And I'm now I've kind of gone the way of floral and botanical abstraction in a way. So it's my brain's not even thinking that. And it's good because, you know, in, in a creative uh, when you have a creative mind and you start a project, I mean, as an interior designer, for instance, you know, you know, where you start, you never know how you're going, you know, where you're going to end. And that's the beauty of it. It's just constant evolution. Do you think some people work that way though? I think some people know what the end product is going to look like. I think so. 
I think some people must work. I mean, with different that. brain, you know. Yeah, that's fine. Nothing wrong about brain. it. <laughs> I don't. My brain definitely doesn't work like that. It doesn't cooperate enough for that to happen. Um, there have been times I've tried to work that way. Um, commission work is like that, you know, because someone will come to you and say, "Can you create this piece that you did in the past, but we want it in these colors?" And yeah, yeah it's a little tricky. Yeah, those are tricky because you the you know where it needs to end up for the client to be happy. So those can take actually take a little bit longer for me because I have to kind of rein it in. But while I'm doing those, I always have something next to it. It's a couple pieces on the other side of the studio that are the experimentation land, you know, so I can so I can still have that exploration while I'm creating something very specific. So from the pop up um you know, show mm-hmm. uh, in New Orleans. I think people just start following you on Instagram, and I yeah. think Instagram was a big. It's a big. Oh, Instagram's been huge for that. Social media has been huge, um, and I didn't really realize it at the time. You know, I I think I was just posting pictures of my dog and some art <laughs> at that time, but um, I really kind of started to focus a little more on what I was sharing and decided. I'm gonna really gonna go for this, and that is the best way for me to reach people, for people to get a glimpse into my studio and get a glimpse of what I'm creating is social media. You know, I can go directly to the people who are interested in my work, but with that, so it's been a great tool. And in the same time, you also now have more uh, galleries coming to you. You I have, do. you know, not only in New Orleans but outside of the state. I believe. I, yeah, I have uh, one in Birmingham, Alabama, South Carolina. I work with um, a wonderful designer up there. And I just signed with a gallery in Dallas and Fort Worth. So yeah, going so. to be delivering paintings to them very soon. So I have Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Birmingham, Greenville, South Carolina, and Texas. That's big. It's going. It's growing. It's growing. It's growing. I never would have thought that it would, if you had asked me two years ago that I would be here, I wouldn't have thought that. Right now, there is a big uh, trend for uh, mm-hmm. artists turning their work into wallpaper or fabric. Is that something you want to consider or something that maybe is not, you know, I, you're not very attracted by it? I do want to, cons- I do consider it, but I worry what that does in the long term. You know, my pieces are unique and special. And like you said, with the series, that they're kind of like a limited run. I mean, you're never going to get the same painting twice. It, it, I wonder what that, you know, I wonder what that would do if I created reproductions of them to that level. I do offer limited edition prints, but those are through my studio. I know the quality that they are coming out as, and they are very limited run. Once they're done, they're done. Yeah, that's, that's so I have a little more control. So I'm, I'm okay with that, but I worry about licensing and not having the control. I worry what that would do. And it's not you, you know, because it's very static. If yeah. you have, when I say static, it's like just you have a lot of uh, vibrance in your art. You have a lot of a uh, depth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really you have thickness. I don't know how you can say <laughs> that in English. In English, but it's you, you don't have a textures mm-hmm. uh, that you cannot find when it's printed. Right. You know, screen right. printed. And I have done f- things for specific projects, um, like through Anne Connolly Fine Art in Baton Rouge. I worked on. I guess it's going to be considered a wallpaper or a wall covering. I created these watercolor textures and they scanned them and they're reproducing them for a hospital. 
so but that's a one you know that's a they commissioned me to make those and it's not like those wallpapers are being sold all across the country and things like that so it's for it was very project specific so i like the idea of things being project specific because then they're still very unique they're for that project and that's it so um just wanting uh, to speak about your inspiration you talk about going to city park of course you're mm -hmm. very inspired by nature yes and i think one of your dream is to be living outside in the in the country oh i want 10 dachshunds and a bunch of chickens and i just want to step out my back door into a you know my studio in the backyard and of course that might get very lonely so talk to me in like 15 years and see if i got that and see if that's what i still want <laughs> i will call you <laughs> but um so beside the nature do you find inspiration in other artists do you go to um art show do you i mean you have mantras I, i don't know how how do you um get out of your studio and just go seek for something that's going to nourish you I find that going to, I like, I love going to museums and other galleries for shows, but when I go to them, I feel the need to go back to my studio and make something. It's more like a, well, why, I can, I can do that too. I'm going to go do it now. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a, and we're not going to say it's competitive, but it's more of like a, it gives me that drive to go create. So I don't necessarily find it nourishing to go there. It's, it's inspiring and I like to see what my peers are doing. Um, but it gets my brain working. You know, yeah. I try and sit there and analyze their work. How did they create it? What, what Experimenting. Kind of, yeah, it, so it, if it, it does feel a little bit like work when I go to those things, although it is inspiring. I, I don't want it to sound like that's, it's not inspiring. It is, but it, it, it gets my brain moving in a certain way, whereas if I, I almost feel like I need to rush home to the studio and create. So it's not so much soul nourishing. I find going out into nature more of that replenishing inspiring activity so i also know you are uh, teaching art i do yeah i so i when we lived in baton rouge i started teaching at saint james place which is a retirement community and assisted living and when we moved to baton i mean we moved to new orleans i kept that role and so i'm the resident art teacher at saint james place so every monday i get up and i drive to Baton Rouge and teach, well, I do teach a chair yoga class in the morning, and then in the afternoon I teach my art classes. And you also teach yoga, I believe. I do, I, I went through yoga training a few years ago, and it, you know, there was a time where I was teaching art, teaching yoga, I had a day job, and I was trying to produce art, and I kind of had to streamline what I was doing, because my brain felt too many, pulled in too many different directions. So I only teach the one chair yoga class now, and just keep the practice personal. So in your creative journey, what's next? I guess trying to figure out how to balance it, how to balance it all. You know, there's been opportunities that have come along and, you, you know, you can, when, it, when it's very, when your career is very young, it, every opportunity that comes along feels like the right one. And now you have to be a little more selective. Not every opportunity that comes along is the right opportunity. So it's trying to navigate and pick the right, the right way to go, the right way to do this. And so it's requiring a little more forethought. Um, so thinking about that, thinking about the longevity of what I want to do. And um, I don't know, I just want to paint big. I want bigger. a bigger yeah, studio. You, I want to paint big. You paint, you, you, are, you have a talent to paint very big already. And I yeah. like that. And you know, you just like your studio is 
getting too small at some it point. It is. It is. Well, the, the size, the scale in two years has gone up and I really have outgrown my home studio and I really do need a, a larger space because I'm just I'm tripping over paintings at this point. Um, and I would love it. I just I close my eyes and I see it. It's like it's just a big place with a bunch of blank walls and I can have all the different series up and, you know, work for hours and never run out of room. Well, Mary, I have to say that for someone who has been told that you didn't have what it takes to be an artist, you are absolutely amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. Can we send this podcast to my old professor? Absolutely. I'm all for it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, Mary, is there anyone in the city that you would like to hear in this podcast? Ooh. Oh, I think, uh, I think I would love to hear from... Jamie and Maddie that run Femizance or have started Femizance, I think that the way that they have merged art with community with activism, I think that that would be a really interesting podcast to listen to. Yeah, can you develop a little bit because I know you've been, you know. Uh... Yeah, I've I've sh I've shown my work with them a few times now, and um, I I I love the fact that in New Orleans, I even though I'm an introvert and I never really leave my studio or my house. When I do venture out, I find really supportive, strong women who have taken control of their careers, like like you, um, and like Maddie, and like Jamie. And you know, I just think that we all have we're there's a community out there, and we're all empowering each other to have our own voice. And I think that they're kind of at the forefront of that in this this city. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. And Mary, thank you so much for having me in your studio. Oh, thank you for coming over. <laughs> Thank you to Mary for joining me for this episode of Textures, and thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about Mary and her work, visit her website at marysingleton.net and her Instagram at marysingletonstudio. I will include all links in the podcast page at valerielegrad.com slash podcast. If you like this episode, follow us on Instagram at textures.podcast. Take the time to review us and do not hesitate to share with your friend. Reviewing on your favorite platform is a great way to support our creative community. Thank you for listening. A bientôt.